0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Do you think the church is relevant today? Uh, I think for some people, but definitely less so and um, so they definitely have a role to play but not as much as they did. Uh, I'm not big on organized religion but for a lot of people it's more community uh, and social structure that they get out of it. I think a lot of the community aspects of it are really beneficial. Mm-hmm. So you know whether it's your church or your community center or volunteering, there, there's a lot of good things people can get out of it. Is the church relevant today? Is it, uh, some. Some are. Uh, I mean you can go to some churches and they're, they're, they're preaching just what they believe or they can go to a church and they'll preach actually what the Bible says. What do you think the purpose of the church is? Uh, people need community and inspiration, you know, and I don't, I've never been to church so I'm not sure, but it seems to help a bunch of people. So a, a church is a place for people to get together and, and do things together right? for community purposes. I think it's just to bring people together for me, the purpose of church is getting together with people of like mm-hmm. uh, have the same faith that I have It is a group of people and that we're supposed to serve others It's nice to talk to somebody who believes in the same things that I do uh, it, you, you want to be surrounded by the people that you the, that believe what you believe right mm-hmm. uh, if you're surrounded with like people that don't believe what you believe you're, you're gonna you're going get a little sidetracked. It's good to be back with all of you again here at Central Campus. Also those of you who are meeting together at our Airdrie campus, our Bridgeland campus, our South Campus, and our Northwest Campus in the Crowford Theatres. I want to Thank all of you who served faithfully over the summer months in our services, um, out in our community and also in different parts of the world to further the mission that God has given to us. God bless you all for your ministry. I trust that you had time to rest and recalibrate this summer as well. I know some of you tend to take your breaks, um, you know, when it's a little colder outside. But um, even so, I hope that many of you were able to just, uh, you know, gear down a little bit this summer. Gwen and I had several weeks um, of quality time together away from Calgary, and it was wonderful. I had some time to read and rest and play some golf with our sons, catch up on my emails, and be entertained by the thoughts that some people have while they're on vacation. Have you ever thought about when things slow down, what it is people start thinking about? Well, I got an email from a friend that had a picture of a dozen rolls of toilet paper with a caption that read, Why does toilet paper need a commercial? I mean, who is not buying this stuff? <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at that and saying, You know, I never thought of that before. That, that, that's a good point. I mean, you know. But you see, there are, these are the kind of first world problems we think about when we're on vacation. Anyway, seriously, I just want to say again that I just love being your senior pastor, and I can't imagine anything more fulfilling than serving Jesus alongside all of you in introducing our city, our nation, and our world to the Jesus that we know and love. I'm excited. Amen. I'm also just excited about all that God's going to do through us uh, individually and together as a church this coming year for his honoring glory. So I'm just going to ask you if you would bow your head for a moment, and if you'd just open your hands to the Lord, and just silently tell Jesus that you are open to all that he has for you this year, and that your heart is open right now to hear from him through today's message. Just take a moment with him right now. Thank you, Lord, for involving us in your kingdom work. Thank you for hearing us even now. For we pray this all in your precious name. Amen. So does the church matter? Based on the man on our street video, it appears that most Calgarians don't think so. Neither do most Canadians. National surveys indicate that even though 80% of Canadians say that they believe in God, over 70% believe Jesus is the way of forgiveness from sin. Only 21% age 15 and older attend religious services on a regular basis. And that dichotomy intrigues me as I'm sure it does you. I mean given that most Canadians would identify themselves as Christians. Why do so many Canadians have a positive opinion of Jesus Christ and an altogether different opinion of the church that he established? Why do so many ignore the church? Some say they ignore the church because it is exclusive. In their mind, the church claims to have a corner on truth and excludes those who believe or live differently than they do. Now, this claim is true, in part because Jesus himself made some exclusive claims about himself. In John 14, 6, for example, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus claimed to be the truth. He claimed to be the way to eternal life. He backed up those claims not only through his amazing life and teachings, his supernatural miracles while he walked the face of this earth, but also through the greatest miracle of all time, the resurrection from death itself. Now, given that Christians believe Jesus is who he claimed to be, our beliefs, our morals, and our values may be seen as exclusive and narrow by those who do not believe Jesus or have little or no inclination to follow him. However, anyone is welcome to attend our church services or our small group ministries or any other ministries, regardless of their beliefs or their lifestyle, providing that you're not disruptive in our services or in our gatherings, you are welcome to attend for as long as you like and no one will strong arm you into giving or present you with a list of expectations you must meet in order to be part of our gatherings. However, should you wish to become a member of our church family and join us in fulfilling the mission that God has called us to, it's important that you are aligned with us in terms of our core beliefs, our vision, values, our morals, and our mission. But let's be honest every institution or organization operates this way. In order for an organization to exist and survive, it is imperative that those who claim to be members represent the beliefs and the values of that organization. I mean, a book club, for example, can only survive if its members focus on reading and discussing books. For a book club to open its membership to anyone, including those who want to burn books, would be to destroy the very thing that defines it as a book club. Well, it's no different for the church. Anyone who sincerely loves Jesus and desires to follow Jesus, as laid out in the scriptures, is more than welcome to join us. In fact, that is our mission. We are passionate about introducing as many people as possible to the Jesus that we know and love, and then to have them join us on a journey of of becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. On the other hand, those who aren't interested in loving and living like Jesus need to find a community or an organization that is committed to whatever they wish to give their life to. Canadian sociologist, Dr. William Gertner says that society consists of voluntary groupings that have steps for membership, which includes the following. First of all, sacrifice. We give up certain selfish behaviors for the sake of the group. Otherwise, the group would quickly turn into chaos. Subordination. We agree to submit to the moral authority of the group and its beliefs and its rules. Thirdly, commitment. We take a vow of allegiance to the group and its vision, mission, and values. And number four, privilege. Once we've completed the first three steps, we receive certain benefits. Now, Dr. Gertner says that any organization will discriminate on this basis. If you want the privileges of being part of a group, then sacrifice, subordination, and commitment are required. For example, suppose that I fail to meet the requirements um, to practice medicine. I want to be a doctor but I don't want to go to medical school. And consequently, I am denied permission to practice medicine by the Canadian Medical Association. Now, if I respond to their rejection by saying, well, you folks aren't very loving and accepting, and I accuse them of being exclusive and discriminating against me, would you have any sympathy for me? I rather doubt it, because we Canadians have no tolerance for phony doctors. We only want qualified doctors treating us, and we applaud the Canadian Medical Association for excluding those who don't meet the requirements. Now I'm sure that we understand that, and yet some people accuse the church for being exclusive, unloving, and unaccepting, because we won't accept into membership those who want to violate our core beliefs, morals, and biblical convictions that define who we are as a church. But you see, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that you want to be accepted into the membership of the church and at the same time say, I want to kind of pick and choose the scriptures, the commands, the principles, and the values that I'm prepared to embrace and to live out. Loving and accepting someone doesn't mean that we're required to accept their beliefs, morals, and behaviors as well. In John 17, verse 16, Jesus said, even though we live in the world, we are not to be part of the world. Meaning, we're not to compromise his principles and his precepts while seeking to build bridges with people in our culture. And so I humbly appeal to you, Not to blame the church for being unloving or exclusive when you're not prepared to embrace the biblical convictions that define us as a church. Just be honest and say, you know, the things I believe, the way that I want to live my life, the goals I want to pursue in my life, doesn't fit with where Jesus, the Bible, and the church are at. I trust that makes sense. Let's move on. A second reason people give for ignoring the church is they are repulsed by the hypocrisy that they see in the church. Some time ago someone said this to me and I replied, you know, I think that your focus is in the wrong place. Your focus is on people rather than on the Creator. I then illustrated my point with an analogy that I heard Earl Palmer give. Palmer says, suppose that a high school band was putting on a concert of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, a work considered by many to be the greatest single piece of music ever produced. If you were to go to that concert to endure squeaky violins, out-of-tune trumpets, and a chorus that sometimes floundered through the music, surely you wouldn't blame Beethoven, would you? i mean clearly the music is in the hands of amateurs and no one not even the finest symphony or orchestra in the world under the direction of the best conductor could recreate that score as beethoven conceived it in his mind you see beethoven is not on trial yet we would never know anything about beethoven and in his genius if it if it wasn't for an orchestra that attempted to play his music. At least these young teenagers are trying to play it. It's the same with Christianity. Because Christians don't live out the Christian life perfectly, doesn't mean that there's a problem with Christ or with the Bible. Nor should one ignore the church or berate the church for representing Christ in a less than perfect way. The Apostle Paul was a devoted follower of Christ through whom God wrote a number of the books that we find in the New Testament. And yet, he said about himself, I am the least of the apostles. I am the worst of sinners. In Philippians 3, he said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This great man of faith says, I'm not there yet. I'm far from perfect, but I'm growing. I'm pressing on to be who Jesus made me to be. Now, you know, I know that there are always some in the church who fake it, who pretend to be something that they're not, who are self-righteous and lack the kind of humility that Paul refers to in the verse that I just quoted. But let's face it, you don't just find hypocrites in the church. You find them everywhere. You find them in your workplace. You find them at school. You find them at sporting events. The reality is most Christians, like Paul, realize they have a long way to go yet in their spiritual growth. Most Christians do not see the church as a holy huddle, but a hospital for sinners who are acceptable to God not because of anything righteous that they have done, but only because of what Jesus has done for them on the cross. The church is not perfect. But God has chosen to reveal himself through the church and therefore anyone who truly loves Jesus will not ignore his true church but will engage in the church in making the church all that Jesus intended it to be. That's why we meet together like this and in community groups all over the city to grow in our understanding of what Christ is calling us to be and to do, to encourage and to spur one another on to be who Christ calls us to be and to do what he calls us to do. Furthermore, people say they ignore the church because they're not into organized religion. Have you ever heard that? I'm sure you have. When I hear people say this, I'm reminded of what Pastor William Evansburg. said Said He said, when people tell me they're really not into organized religion, I tell them, well then, shucks, join our church because we're anything but organized. (laughs) But let me ask you, he says, is organization a bad thing? I mean, consider the order and structure that we find in the universe. Molecules and atoms have structure. The solar system has amazing order. I mean we'd all be dead if it didn't our bodies are marvels of order and organization if our internal organs were not organized did you get that (laughs) organized if they weren't organized if they didn't work in sync we'd be toast And what I find interesting is that the Bible compares the church to our physical bodies. It says Christ is the head, and we are his body, which he calls the church. Bodies have structure and organization, and so should the church. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. If the Creator so organized the universe. Why would he not organize the church as well? Now, of course, a case can be made that some churches are too organized, and we need to be sensitive to that. But my point is, some structure and organization are necessary, especially as a church grows in size. In fact, we see this in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 6, uh, it says that as the church grew in numbers the apostles delegated the care of the widows and the daily distribution of food to seven godly men. They began to organize. Now, based on my interaction with people, my sense is, when people say they love Jesus, but they're not into the organized church, what they really want is private religion a spirituality that doesn't include other people. Now, it is true that genuine spirituality begins inside of you. It begins in the heart, connecting in a real and a personal way with God. And Jesus is always concerned, first and foremost, about the heart. But if you really connect with the living God and begin to know His heart of love, not only for you, but also for others. You won't be content to keep this to yourself or to close the door of your life to the needs of those around you. No, what God is doing in your life will affect your heart. It will begin to affect your priorities and it will begin to spill over into all of your relationships. The Apostle James put it this way. What good is it If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James says that a private faith is essentially a dead faith because you cannot be close to God and experience His love for you and for others without wanting to join with others of like mind to show God's love to a hurting world. And so as soon as you pick up the phone and you pledge to support an orphan, for example, through some relief agency, as soon as you step up and volunteer your time to serve in some way, you have moved from the arena of private spirituality to the world of faith in action, or if you will, organized religion. I recall reading an article in the Globe and Mail some time back, and what caught my attention right off the top was the writer stated that she did not believe in organized religion. And then she went on to tell of her experience working for three weeks in a relief agency caring for Calcutta's sick and dying. And she described the horrible conditions there. The orphan children, sometimes three to a crib, waiting to be washed and fed and disinfected and loved. Dying infants, packed like sardines, row upon row. A dying woman whom she held in her arms, while another worker dressed bed sores the size of saucers. Acquired from lying helpless on the city streets. And the author concluded saying it was all a deeply humbling, life-changing experience. Now what the writer failed to realize is that those dying infants and adults in India would have had no one caring for them were it not for the church-sponsored and supported Christian Relief Agency, whose mission it was to care for the hurting of Calcutta. Without the organized church that relief agency, and thousands like it, would not exist. In fact, you study history, and you're going to find that almost every ministry to the poor, to the illiterate, the sick, to those with special needs, the orphaned, the homeless, the starving, those caught in the sex trade slave uh, industry, all came to be because Christians were led by God to do something to meet the festering needs in the world around them. You study history and you're going to find that the development of hospitals and universities and relief agencies were all developed and supported financially by the church. In other words, by organized religion. You see, private religion tends not to do that. Private religion that isn't interested in joining together with others of like mind tends to close the blinds to the festering needs of humanity, tends to sit on its hands and leave it to someone else to take care of those issues. And that's why I'll take organized religion over unorganized, self-absorbed private spirituality any day of the week. Because when God becomes real to you, your heart begins to break over the things that break the heart of God. And you will not only want to, but you will need to link arms with others to accomplish God's redemptive purposes in the world. And friend, that is what the church is all about. That is why Christ established the church. A fourth reason people ignore the church is because they see it as irrelevant. Most people would acknowledge that the church helps some people, but they would say overall the church is not all that important. In fact, Rolling Stone frontman Mick Jagger, he once said, the church does more harm than good. I believe that Mick Jagger and others who would agree with his assessment of the church have a very limited understanding of the positive impact the church has had down through history as I just touched on a moment ago, but also have a very limited understanding of the difference the church is making in the world today. And so in the time remaining and then going into next week, I just want to talk to you about why I believe the church matters. Because I sense a growing cynicism toward the church these days. And that concerns me deeply. First and foremost, I believe the church matters because I believe in Jesus Christ. And the church really matters to him. Don't ever mistake that. It matters to him. In fact, the church was Jesus' idea. Jesus established the church, he, he loves the church, and in Matthew chapter 16, he said he would build his church. So those who have an, an issue with the idea of the church, they really have an issue with Jesus. He started this whole thing. To love Jesus and yet to ignore or to reject the church, which he came to establish, is to reject Christ. Christ. Jesus does not give us an option. In his kingdom, there is no room for solo Christianity. There's no room for private Christianity. In Hebrews 10, 24, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, referring to the day of the Lord, his return, as you see the day approaching. If you look at that verse, you realize that we are encouraged to come together, to spur each other on. There is no place for private religion in the scriptures. To identify your life with the person of Jesus Christ is to join your life with the people of Christ or the church. For you see, the church isn't a place that you attend. The church is us. It's people who know and love Jesus and are passionate about living like Jesus. Now let me be clear about something. In saying this, I am not saying that we should worship the church. I am not saying the church and its leaders are infallible Or our ultimate authority. Hebrews 13 verse 17 calls us to respect our church leaders, it calls us to submit to uh, our church authority, but we are not to worship those in authority. No, the object of our worship is to be Jesus Christ and him alone. And our ultimate authority is Jesus, the living word, and the scriptures, the written word. The true church is Jesus' visible expression on earth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said, The church is the hidden Christ among us. Chuck Colson has said, The church is the invisible Christ made visible through his people for all to see. But because the church is made up of fallible human beings and fallible human leaders, we need to realize it is capable of error. It's capable of being a poor reflection of the ideals that God has for his church. Every once in a while, I pray with people who have been really hurt by the church. They gave their heart and soul to a ministry of a particular church and then their pastor that they adored had a moral failure. Or another church member slandered them or the church experienced bitter conflict and disintegrated, and they're devastated. They've grown cynical toward the church to the point where they have no use for the church anymore. Now, if I'm describing you at all right now, even just a little bit, if you find that you're a little bit cynical about the church, because you've been hurt in some way, I'm wondering, could one reason that you've come to this place be because you've worshipped the church and the leadership of the church more than Jesus? We must not worship the church, but we must not ignore it either or sit back and judge the church and berate the church and criticize the church because it is Christ's chosen vehicle. The Bible describes it as his bride. And when you attack the church and you're not supporting the church, you're attacking his bride. And those of you who are married, how would you feel? Guys, if someone were attacking your bride. The church is Christ's chosen vehicle to reflect his love and fulfill his mission. And however imperfect it may be, As true followers of Jesus Christ, we are the church and therefore we're called to engage in a local church fellowship of Christ's global church, a church like Center Strait, to jump in with both feet and with the help of the Spirit, make it all that Christ intended the church to be. I believe the church matters, not because it is perfect or because it is always relevant, I believe the church matters because I believe in Jesus and his ideals for the church. Furthermore, I believe the church matters because it deals with the eternal issues of life. You turn on the television or the radio, you open a magazine or a newspaper, you surf on the net and you will be bombarded with an endless list of opportunities to grow and to learn to learn history, geography, religion, to learn how to get into shape physically, to learn how to eat healthy, to, know, to learn how to build things and fix things, how to manage your time, how to manage your money, and on the list goes. And you know, there's nothing wrong with these, but if we never address issues like, is there an afterlife? Where do I stand with God? If we have no solution for the emptiness in our soul then we have missed the entire point of life. Howard Hendricks summarized the novel, Watership Down, which tells a story about a group of wild rabbits whose home is going to be destroyed by a bulldozer making room for a new housing subdivision. One little rabbit is like Moses. He's going to lead all these wild rabbits to the promised land a place called Watership Down. Well, when our little wild rabbits finally arrive, they go through a hole in the fence and they meet another group of rabbits that look very happy and content. In fact, they're bigger and plumper. They have longer hair. And yet they never work or seem to forage for food. And so the little wild rabbits move in, and they begin to talk with these other rabbits about how life works in this new place. So tell me, says little Moses, what do you eat? Oh, they say, we eat pallets. If you come out of your hole, you'll find a little dish, and in that dish are pallets. It's a marvelous life, really. You can't beat it. Well, it doesn't take long for the little wild rabbits to get the hang of this new way of living. They eat the pallets. They grow heavier. Their hair grows longer. And yes, this is a marvelous place to live. One day, little Moses, he notices that the biggest, fattest, longest-haired rabbit is gone. And he says to the other rabbits, Hey, where'd old Fuzzy go? And the others respond, Well, we really don't know. Every once in a while, one of us disappears. But we don't ask questions about it. They're just gone. Well, little Moses doesn't like it one bit. And he decides to investigate. And to make a long story short, he discovers that Fuzzy is now in some farmer's rabbit stew. He's just sipped to his stomach. And so he goes to the other rabbits and he calls a meeting. And he says, don't you understand what happens when a rabbit disappears? And they say, we don't like to think about it. You know, life is great here. That's all we care about. We're enjoying ourselves. Just leave us us alone, will you? And Kessler goes on to say, we live in a society that lives something like that. Many people live each day like they're going to live forever. They stake the efforts of their lives on power, fame, position, money, and possessions. But they do not give much thought to God. They eat their pallets, they buy their golf clubs, their ski boots, their homes and cars and cottages at the lake. And they don't wanna think about the fact that one day they're going to die. But then their doctor calls to inform them of some bad medical results or their marriage goes sideways or their business tanks. And sometimes for the first time in years, they're forced to stop and to begin to grapple with the truly important eternal questions of life. They're jolted into realizing that even though they may have planned for every contingency, they forgot or at least they ignored the one inevitable certainty of life that stares all of us in the face. And that is one day, our days are going to run out. So let me ask you this. Why do you think that so many people in our culture ignore, simply forget, about addressing the truly important eternal questions of life. Well, I believe there's a number of reasons, including pride, preoccupation with stuff, money and possessions and all that stuff, position, success, all those things. But I also believe it's because there are no voices in our culture other than the church that reminds us to number our days to face the eternal questions of life head-on and to align our values and our priorities accordingly. In Psalm 39.4, the psalmist says this, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and, how, and, and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. The psalmist prays, Lord, give me a reality check once in a while. And remind me that one day my days are going to run out. Help me to never forget that I'm a mortal being and to establish priorities in my life that reflect that reality. Remind me that one day we're going to stand before you and we will have to give an account for what we decided to do with Jesus and for What we did with the gifts, the talents, and the resources that God gave us. You know, folks, that's why I'm glad Jesus established his church. To remind me that there is a spiritual, eternal dimension that is every bit as real as this earthly, physical dimension That I am a special creation of God, wired up not only with a physical body, but also with an eternal soul. I'm glad the church challenges me regularly from the scriptures to ask myself, what am I really staking my life on? What am I giving my life to? What am I investing what I have into that's going to really matter to me and to God in the end? What is my life, the way I'm investing my time and my money, teaching my kids about what's most important to me? I'm so glad the Church of Jesus Christ shows me how I can enter into a real friendship with God, how I can be set free from the the hurts and the regrets and the pain of the past, how I can live in victory in the present, and how I can know true peace regardless of what I may face in the future. I'm so glad the church of Jesus Christ reminds me regularly to forgive, to be gracious with others and to love them the way that Jesus loves me, to treasure my spouse and to invest deeply into the spiritual lives of my children. I'm glad the church reminds me regularly of Jesus' words. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? That's why the church matters. Attending and being a vital part of the church of Jesus Christ is not just something quaint that we folks do. No, being part of the church is being part of a Christ-centered, Bible-based community that Jesus started, and he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is more than us coming together like this in a worship service, as important as this is. But it is also where Christ takes you throughout the week to your home, your community, your school, your business. The church is wherever we are. When we help the helpless, when we pray for the sick, the church of Jesus is there. When we feed the hungry, when we give a cup of cold water to the thirsty, the church of Jesus is there. When we visit the sick and those in prison, when we exercise hospitality, the church of Jesus is there. When we invest in others, be they children, be they youth, or be they other adults, the church of Jesus is there. And friends, I stand before you as one among multiple millions who is absolutely thrilled to be part of a community of Christ followers which Jesus referred to as the church. A community that is life-transforming, that is world-changing, that has stood for over 2,000 years, that really makes a difference and that will never die I believe and love Jesus. And that is also why I believe in the church that he loves. And my prayer is is that we will no longer just see the place, see the church as a place that we attend. we will realize that we are the church and that we'll jump in with both feet that we'll link arms with one another in making the invisible Christ visible through our lives for everyone to see may it be so to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and that we love Amen. amen would you stand with me for closing prayer Our Father, I thank you for the church and the reminder that because of your love and grace, every person can belong to it through faith in Jesus Christ. I thank you also for the reminder of the worldwide impact your church has had down through time and continues to have in our world. Lord, we acknowledge today that we have not always, as a church, represented you well. We've not always loved as you loved, cared as you've cared, served as you've served or been generous as you've been generous with us. Forgive us, Lord, for judging and criticizing the church instead of jumping in and helping the church be all that you want it to be. Lord, if there's something in our church that needs changing, we ask that you would begin by first changing us. Let it begin with us. If there's a need for more love and acceptance around here, oh Lord, help us to be more loving and accepting. To get out of our comfort zone and extend a hand to someone that we don't know. If this church needs more humility, Lord, that you would do a work in every one of our lives. That you would humble us. Bring us to a point of total surrender to you. Lord, if this church needs to be more generous and more giving, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us about how generous, how giving we are. I pray for anyone here who is seeking you. Guide their search, Lord, and open their heart and mind to your reality, I pray. Let them see Jesus as he really is, because if they do, they will not only embrace him, but they will never walk away from him. Use us, your church, in some way to demonstrate your reality, your love, and your grace to all you bring across our path. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.